Welcome to the wonderful world of heroes and droids, a Disney Plus fan podcast brought to you by a gruesome magazine. I am your host, John Slattery. Let me welcome my co-host. First up is Christopher Slattery. Chris, how you doing? I'm fantastic. I can't wait to talk about The Way. <laughs> the Way. Um, yes, we are here to talk about The Mandalorian, Season 1, Episode 3, The Sin. And what better co-host to have with us but the award-winning filmmaker Christopher G. Moore, uh, uber Star Wars fan, in my opinion. Uh, Christopher, how you doing, bud? I just flew in, in my uh, with my rocket pack just to be here tonight. So, uh... <laughs> so, you, so you got yours, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm already ahead of the game. I think the Mandalorian needs to catch up. He, he does. He does. At least he has a fast ship. Oh, he's got a, other, a lot of other cool tools going on, as we see in this uh, episode. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, we've got some cool things to talk about. But uh, you were mentioning before the show, and I wanted to kind of jump into this kind of spontaneously. Like, the, you know, in the past couple of weeks, it was, uh, you know, I have spoken. But we have with this one a new phrase. What is that? This is the way. This is the way. And the reason why I wanted to do this, because that's what Chris was talking about. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool, right? Kind of cool. Uh, hang with us. We're going to be talking about Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 3, The Sin, and we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. But first, uh, WWHD is brought to you by ExpressVPN. A VPN is a virtual private network, a secure tunnel between your device and the Internet. VPNs are used to protect your online traffic from snooping, interference, and censorship. And if you uh, use the internet, and if you're watching Disney+, Plus, <laughs> chances are that's what you're doing. A VPN might be something you want to consider. And ExpressVPN has rock-solid privacy with blazing speeds, no compromises. Uh, they accelerate your VPN. Now, that's an interesting thing. Uh, they also have servers all across the world, 160 locations across 94 countries. Uh, to keep your real location hidden from prying eyes. They have no restrictions. Watch what you want. Watch all the Disney Plus you want. Uh, they keep you anonymous, and they keep you secure. This is the best thing for me, personally, is they encrypt everything. They protect your content connection. Um, and that's, that's, that's crucial in helping to protect your information, keeping it private. And they also have 24-7 support. So if you want to give uh, ExpressVPN a shot, or at least look it up and see what it's like, uh, do tryexpressvpn.com slash gruesome magazine. And uh, we recommend that you do. Uh, it's... Uh, I I have a new VPN for my work, so I haven't get purchased personally purchased this one. Uh, but two of the fellows from uh, uh, Gruesome Magazine and Horror News Radio have have done so, and they both are loving it. All right, let's get into things. Uh, we have a couple little updates that I want to bring uh, to light. And Chris, you had the first thing, and this is about the Disney Plus app. You said there was an update to it. Yeah, uh, so when the app and um, the service first launch uh, first launched, you couldn't um, you couldn't resume where you left off if you stopped watching a movie or a TV show. Well, within the within the last week, they have actually updated the app and updated the website and all of those services, including the uh, smart TV apps, uh, to where now if you stop watching a movie you can now resume where you stopped and it keeps track of where you were. So uh, it it's a small little thing, but it's a 
big win, I think. Uh, it is catch up with the rest. That's what it is. But uh, <laughs> so uh, that's a much needed update, and I'm glad they they're updating it quick and fast like this. This is what just a few weeks after it launched. So good good news. Yeah, and it's great because I think that was one of the one of the main big things that people were complaining about. So it seems like they're uh, actually listening to feedback. All right, now Christopher G. Moore, you as a filmmaker. Uh, I'm, I, you know, we've noticed interesting things in the Mandalorian, and one of them is this LA, LED VFX. At least that's what I have down in the show notes, but it's it's actually something else. Explain the uh, the unique technology that you're using for this series. It's actually a first, right? Yeah, it's the first uh, really big use of it. I mean, we've had. Um... We've had a few things, elements of this that have sort of been done on some films. Uh, I think there was, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but Tom Cruise was in this sci-fi film many years ago where they used these huge screens on set so that um, you could create this environment where the, you know, you didn't have to use green screening. You just used the natural light from actual sunsets and stuff to light the set. And so, but now we have this new, what they call a virtual production tool um, which there's actually, if you go to like the um, the Unreal Engine YouTube site, they have a really cool uh, couple of videos on it. Where uh, and we we heard about this in the pro- in the process of them making it. They talked about this new production tool, which allowed them to to shoot things a whole lot better. Um, and I think you know, even though uh, I think I've heard it's almost like tw- they spend like twelve million dollars on each episode. This allows them to be able to shoot a TV show on the same level as a feature film uh, because what it does is it actually, you know, you have these environments, which in the past, if you look at like a lot of the previous Star Wars films and see these huge green screen rooms and environments and stuff, and you have actors and they're basically having to act to nothing. Well, this one allows you to actually see the background because what they use is they use these huge LED screens, which I've heard the the crystals or whatever they use to create the LED screens, it takes them like four years to grow or they actually have to be grown or something to make. And they have these huge LED screens, high definition, more than high definition screens that look very realistic. And on top of that, they have this uh, virtual reality software in the same way that you have like a virtual reality headset or thing, whatever that's connected to the camera. And so wherever you, whenever you move the camera, it moves the background to create that perspective. And so you can have, you know, like we have the, the first episode of this series where they're in this icy uh, environment. So you can have that icy environment behind them. The light from that reflects on the helmet, you know, whatever the background reflects on the helmet. So it makes it extremely realistic. And you watch in the making of this, just them being the actors, these sort of like these demo of this person on the set, it looks very realistic. And I think, you know, a lot of times when you make things and you use green screen, you have to, you have to recreate the reflection on the helmet. You have to recreate the lighting on the body. Uh, you know, you, you, there's a lot of steps they take into sort of makes everything so much realistic. And this takes a lot of the middlemen out of that, you know, sure. There's some like post-production you still have to do, but when it comes to lighting and that kind of stuff, 
when it comes to recreating the background to where it's very realistic, you're able to do this. And on top of that, actors have something to act to. They see how the background looks like. So I think it also allows the actors to act better because I think some of the biggest problems people had with the prequels is like you have people like Samuel Jackson, other people that probably didn't give their best acting performances because they're acting against the green screen. They're acting against Jar Jar Binks' head on a stick. You know, they're acting to all these different things that kind of really strange your your ability as an actor. Um, but the main thing is this is going to free up, you know, if, if the technology gets to the point where a lot of people can use it, this is going to free up the ability to create so many awesome stories uh, on, on a lower end budget because, I mean, sure, you still have to create these environments in a computer. Um, you still have to do that end of it, but you can project it right there on set and you know what it looks like right there on set. So it's not something that you see after the fact you see in post-production when you're working on a scene, you see it right then and there. So you know what it looks like, you know how cool it's going to look. And I think that's the one part of this whole series that's made this series feel like it's on the level of a feature film is because the, the special effects look so freaking realistic. You feel like these characters are in that environment. You know, I've heard they've even used some of this on even some of the normal scenes are inside of like people's hovels or people's places where they live to where they don't have to necessarily have to make the whole environment. They don't have to make a whole huge set. They can just, you know, put them in the, in front of this LED screen and they can do pretty much anything. You know, the sky's the limit. So this, I think this te- new technology, you're going to start seeing them utilize things in it, and it actually may up the game when it comes to the ability to create these big stories and, and fantasy worlds and sci-fi environments. Yeah. I can imagine that as an actor, this is a tremendous advantage to getting the performance like you mentioned. And, and you mentioned the, you know, that 12 million episode. Now that feels like a lot, especially for TV. But if you think the first four, the first three uh, episodes of the Mandalorian are uh, roughly the length of a feature film. We agree. Yeah. yeah. And you know, for 36 million, when's the last time you've gotten a feature star Wars film for $36 million, right? You haven't. I mean, the, right. the recent Joker film cost 65 million to make, and that didn't really have the level of, I mean, granted they had to recreate some like 1970s environments, but you know, that's not a sci-fi film. And you have this that has probably better special effects than a lot of films that have cost a hundred or 200, $200 million. And this was shot on a basically show string budget. And I think the reason they're able to do that is because this technology has opened up so many avenues and opportunities to tell stories in areas that you would never, ever in your, in your biggest dreams think you could pull it off on a TV show. All right. Well, we'll see how this all plays out in the future episodes. But right now it is time to review The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 3, The Sin. Uh, this is directed by Deborah Chow, uh, and Christopher uh, G. Moore is going to talk a lot about her here in a minute, but the cast includes Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian, Carl Weathers' is, uh, Grief Karga, Werner Herzog returns as the client, Omid Aptai returns as Dr. Pershing, uh, and we get the, uh, oh, you know, well, let's just say the battered Mandalorian returns to his client for his reward. And, uh, it's, well, I'm just going to say before we get everybody's first impression, uh, this is the episode that for me solidifies 
the character of the Mandalorian. And there's a huge pivotal point in this particular episode that makes all three episodes as a whole, a wonderful story. Uh, but uh, now that I've buried the lead, let's find out Chris Slattery. <laughs> what is your first impression of this? In? I loved it. I loved every little piece of action that was in this uh, episode. I loved the lore that it brought to the, to the series. I loved the character arc. Um, you were saying that, that uh, this episode kind of made the Mandalorian's character like throughout like the character arc for the first three episodes feel so complete. And I completely agree. Every little nuance from the first two episodes comes into play here. And you really feel like you have um, a really good idea of who this character is, what his morals are, what is what he believes in all of that stuff for someone who wears a helmet all the time, that's just, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And I uh, probably should stop uh, gushing. So Christopher G. Moore, Moore has some stuff, uh, some more positive stuff to bring to the table too. <laughs> You're gushing. Uh, Christopher G. Moore, who knew that a, a small little uh, a silver ball would mean so much, right? Well, yeah. And I think, <laughs> well, that's the thing. And, and, it's just these little simple things that can create a very emotional episode, even when you're not even seeing the facial expressions. You know, I think, sadly, there's been a few people who haven't liked the show because like, oh, but you don't see his face. It's like, get over it. You know, it's like you never saw Darth Vader's face until the end of, you know, Return of the Jedi. It's like, but he still you could still see that there is he was emoting with his physicality. and I think this episode has really allowed us to sort of feel that that torn nature of this character who's spent most of his life, you know, trying not to care for things uh, because he came out of, you know, being torn from his parents. And, um, and now he, he feels for this little Yoda kid that that's in a similar situation where he's pulled from whatever environment. And, uh, and then there's these people that have nefarious purposes for him. And so, at some point you have to realize, you know, you know, he's like, screw this. I'm going to, I'm going to help this little kid out, you know, even if it puts, puts my life in danger or because it's the right thing. And so you have this character who spent most of his life sort of working in this gray area. And now he's like, I feel like, you know, I need to help this kid because, you know, I would, I would have loved to have the help when I was a, an orphan. So yeah, there's a lot of great things in this. And then also at the same time, you know, we've seen the Mandalorian being sort of badass and and his abilities, but man, there's there's like a whole segment that's he turns into like John Wick meets a slasher film. It's like <laughs> he's just I was like I was actually kind of like, wow, this is on Disney Plus. This is pretty violent. You know, there's there's implied things. Like there's that one part where he I don't did you see this he like basically burns a stormtrooper to death did he you fried, see his skull fried, i don't know if i saw a skull but he he definitely charred up a, a stormtrooper pretty they, good. they leave it so dark it's like i almost feel like i saw a stormtrooper skull and i was like whoa and it uses his little um his little uh uh projectile on a rope thing so he can pull that one stormtrooper into his knife I was, it's, it's literally turns into, you know, Jason Voorhees meets John Wick. And I was like, whoa, 
It's like, do not mess with this guy because he will take you out in a second. Uh, I mean, and I think that's what I love about this series. It's like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this character. He, you know, you know, Lucas can create as much uh, questionable things about who shot first with Han Solo, but <laughs> this guy will shoot first and ask questions later. And that's what I love about it. And then you have that whole end sequence that's, you know, we're literally the cavalry arrived arrives. Mm, um, yes. But yeah, there's so many great moments in this in this episode that I think I can understand how even those people that had a few qualms about it and weren't really sure about it, it won a lot of Star Wars fans over. Those people who felt like Star Wars it wasn't being Star Wars. This this episode I think won across the board. I don't know how many people in my Facebook feed this past week were were just quoting this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. So yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm gushing about this episode too. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. The action's pretty amazing. Um, to me, I think this is probably the, the best, uh, well-directed series so far because Deborah Chow directed it and she's amazing. She's directed a lot of great things on Netflix and other channels. Uh, everything from Betty away saw to Jessica Jones, uh, American gods, and you can sort of see how she's now been put uh, in charge of the Obi-Wan series because based off of this episode, I think this is probably the best episode of the series, if far, at least in my opinion. Yeah, they keep getting better. better. And it's important to note that she's the first female director to handle a Star Wars property, right? Yeah, any any live act, she's the first one to direct any live action Star Wars property ever. And it's like, based on this, let's let more women... <laughs> <laughs> more people of color direct episodes because this is one of the most badass episodes or what I would say it's one of the better things in the Star Wars universe in my opinion I am enjoying this quite a bit compared even to the the recent movies yes very much and it is uh it does keep getting better each episode so that's encouraging uh you know we have what six more to go uh but I feel very confident we're going to enjoy each and every one there's a lot going on here and what's really cool is that it you know it's it's very linear uh and very singular you know we don't have a, a couple threads going on we have one thread following our our hero the mandalorian and but we get so much background and backstory without painful exposition it's told in quite possibly the most efficient way that you can. Uh, I'm going to cite the uh, scene where uh, the Mandalorian, he, he's already returned uh, the, uh, the, re, the, well, he's already returned the kid and gotten his reward, but the reward is basically going to give him his, his new armor. Uh, but he has to kind of explain himself to the rest of the Mandalorians and the conversation is what gives us all the exposition, but not in a way where somebody has to sit there and tell the story, right? It's, it's told through their, the, the conflicts and the interactions and, and the natural dialogues really well written. And, you know, we learned that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we learned that basically one Mandalorian comes out at a time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's at least in, on the, the planet that they're on. That's, uh, that's the culture that they have is one can only come out at a time and for some reason um our protagonist is the one that gets to leave all the time or at least lately right yeah and um, i 
I, I don't think there was any explanation given as to why he was the one that was a, allowed to go out. Um, at least I didn't, I don't remember catching anything, but that's the impression that I got is that he's has the honor to go out and represent them. Uh, another thing is they talk about the sigil. We mentioned, they mentioned that last episode, uh, our first episode. And then this episode, when he gets his armor, uh, he was, he was uh, offered a sigil, but he declined it. Uh, Christopher G. Moore, did you like that? The way he, his honor that is portrayed there. Yeah. Cause he, 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 he didn't feel like he, um, he, he, he had help from his alleged uh, enemy. So he didn't want that. He has honor about those type of things, especially something that's going to be a representative of him on his armor. Uh, although, do you do you guys think that the end of this series, this first uh, season, that his signet is going to be the Yoda baby head? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, it could be. That would, it could that be. would be so fitting. Because, oh, you know, if, if he really wants to be honorable, he feels honorable about something, possibly helping to save this Yoda baby's life. Yeah. You know, maybe well, that might be representative of him. I don't know. Just an idea. Yeah. And another thing that's so complex about that particular sh- very short but important conversation is that, you know, he not only does he not feel that's his signet uh, because of, uh, you know, the Yoda baby helping him, but also because his, you know, his enemy didn't even realize he was the enemy, uh, which I, was said in a way that conveyed uh, remorse. Is that, would that be the appropriate description? What what do you think, Chris Slattery? How did he feel about leaving the Yoda baby at this point? Uh, we know it changes later, but at this point, how did he feel about leaving the Yoda baby with the client? I think he was having doubts the entire time. From the time that the Yoda baby saved him in episode two, or used the Force powers to help, help him uh, get rid of the giant mud beast. Uh, Mudhorn? Is that what it's called? Mudhorn. Yeah. Mudhorn, Mudhorn yes. yeah. Um, the, from that point on, I think he was having doubts about about giving over the baby, and I think part of that is he sees um, he he sees a little bit of himself in the Yoda baby in the fact that they're they're both kind of abandoned at a very long, uh, small small age, um, young age. Sorry, and. Uh, and they kind of have that connection to together. That's kind of where that that's at least what I was getting from, from his mannerisms. Even when he was delivering the baby, he just didn't seem comfortable giving over the handing over the baby. Right. Because he, he basically breaks code right then and there by asking, what are you going to do with it? Which is something that, uh, you know, bounty hunters don't ask. Uh, which alarms and uh, almost insults the client. Uh, I love the way Werner Herzog reacts as the client. What about you, Christopher G. Moore? What did you think of that interaction? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting, you know. And I think um, I think with this this episode, um, this seems to be the kind of turning point. And I think. 
it's going to be interesting how future episodes play out, what the Mandalorian is going to do from this point on, and also what does the client, what is what is this sort of ultimate purpose they have for this kid? Um, where they suppose they're going to pull some kind of elements from the Yoda baby. So I, yeah, I mean, I love the, I love that kind of interaction. Even when he interacts with the client or whatever, you know, he's, he's, he's even starting to question like, what are you going to do with this baby? And the client's like, you know, there's this sort of, there's a, the honor of the guild or the, the, you know, there's certain things that you don't ask questions about it. You just do your job and leave. But you can see at that point, he's already having questions about what he's doing, you know, why, you know, cause he already has sort of a, an emotional attachment to this, this little kid. Very much so. And you mentioned that it felt like John wick. And, and at one point I, I, the John wick bells were going off. Uh, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but at, at some point they realized that, uh, you know, <laughs> the Mandalorian has turned on them. And the next thing, you know, everybody's, uh, thingies light up They're, those little uh, locators fobs fobs tracker fobs fobs and they all light up and yeah and that reminded me of john wick so much it, wasn't it wasn't it, it, it yeah it's, it's basically yeah the end of uh was it the was it ended the second uh, one, of the first second one? one yeah it was the second one yeah uh but yeah but then i i guess my biggest question is like what is what exactly is it tracking? And is there a way to take that out of you? You know, mm-hmm. uh, some, some, some way I think you can't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some reason. Oh, man. Um, but, but there's, um, did you guys notice that there was a interrogation droid in the baby Yoda? Yes. Uh, the round one, the round one. Yeah. With all the funny arms. So yes. it's like, are they trying, is that just there for dressing or do you think they were interrogating the little baby? Not that you could ever get anything from it, you know? Well, he was already unconscious, right? They had him. Yeah. Well, yeah. aren't um aren't the interrogation droids just modified medical droids? So it could be that um it was the droid was used specifically to poke and prod, as opposed to interrogate. You know that's true. That's a good point. I, I have a feeling there was poking and prodding going on. Yes. Uh, okay, so the, the important scene for me, I mean, there's a lot of action. But really, the important scene is when he's getting ready to take off uh, mid mid season. Well, it's early, but it's maybe mid, right? And he's got that uh, you know the conflict he has to resolve. He's he, and he looks down, and the uh, the round ball isn't on the on the one lever, and you know it just reminds him of of uh, of the child, and he puts it back on, and he has that conflict. Chris Slattery. Um, we spoke about this earlier, but this is the moment, right? And this is the moment. And how did, how did you personally react to this moment? Was was were you like yes, 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 or were you like oh no, don't? Or what? How? What emotions were conveyed at this point? I was very, very excited because even though I knew what. The what was most likely going to happen when he got off that ship to go get the the baby, which everything that I thought was uh, gonna happen ended up uh, exceeding my expectations. I was very excited for him. I was still very excited because that because this means that the characters at that turning point it decided to 
forego the the bounty hunting roots that he has in order to be in order to care for this child and it's and we've grown kind of attached to the child they've done a very good job of making us want like the child and want the child to be okay so i was just i was very happy when he went back and i was like yes yes i want to see see more i want to i want to see everything be okay it's a heroic moment and it makes our character a hero right christopher g Moore. well yeah i mean that that's where in the true hero in him comes out i mean granted he does a lot of these sort of like bounty hunting deals in order to give stuff to the foundlings and so he does it in a way to give but at this point he realizes like his life has a bigger purpose than that and uh and even the his mando brothers seem to sort of fulfill that aspect of it as well because at some point they all sort of like want to be helpful um to this sort of innocent being they do now speaking of the mando brothers i love that this let's go that sounds like a great band uh let's <laughs> welcome, welcome to the stage the mando brothers no this don't they he doesn't look like he's the biggest one <laughs> uh, you mean the that, one that's voiced by john favreau is that who did it john favreau voiced the the, the large one yeah because you know what i want to know what the connection there is no, what is it? Uh, in the Clone Wars, there was a Mandalorian by the name of Pre Vizsla. Um, and so uh, he ended up, spoiler, he ended up getting his head cut off by Darth Maul. Um, this character's name is Paz Vizsla, which oh. is played by a stunt performer, but he's voiced by Jon Favreau, so he's part of that sort of family. Mm, interesting. So there's that connection. So, and, and when I was watching, I was like, that sounds, that sounds like John Favreau doing a voice. <laughs> and it was, I, but it's like, that's definitely not John Favreau's body type because he's a little short, chubby dude. Um, and this guy's like, like freaking, uh, freaking like, yeah. I mean, this, this guy's like, looks extremely muscular and big and tall. And it looks like somebody you don't want to mess with. And, and when you see him uh, grappling with the Mandalorian, it's like, whoa. <laughs> This is going to end well. No, nope. uh, just just for those who may not know, uh, who does John Favreau play in the Marvel series? Oh, he plays Happy Hogan. Right. So you saw him, and of course, all the Iron Man films, and most recently the Spider Man films. Yes. Yes. Uh, what a great character. Yeah. <laughs> and John Favreau, of course, is writing, and uh, uh, he's, I guess he's the showrunner for this. He's the one that pitched the idea and got it off the ground. And uh, I guess some of the news that we could have talked about earlier is uh, there's rumors he's going to be shepherding the theatrical movies after after this. I'd be okay with that. I mean, the thing is, much different than the rest of the people who've sort of become part of the Star Wars universe, he wrote those first four episodes on spec. He did it because he wasn't asked to do it. He did it on his own because of his love of star Wars and wanting to tell a story in that universe. And to me, that's, that's the best way to go about it. If you have a love for storytelling and, um, you know, you could tell he's a fan and, uh, just by all the little, you know, references that don't really hit you over the head. But if you're a diehard Star Wars fan, you'll get those references and appreciate it. 
And you can sort of tell that he has. And and also, Star Wars has always been that kind of thing to where it's it's been sort of like a sci-fi version of other things, like Akira Kurosawa films or samurai films and or westerns. And so you can sort of see his love seeping through uh, in this series and how it's very western and samurai oriented. Uh, the lone wolf and cub stuff alone. Um, so yeah, I, I mean that's that's the cool thing, and and uh, I think it also will be interesting considering he he uh, approached Disney with these four f- first four episodes of the series. You know how it all how it will trans how the the story will transpire or end up after those first four. You know, but yeah, I mean I, I would love to see him. I think I think you can sort of tell that he has. He has an affinity for being able to tell a really good story in in, in this, uh, uh, you know, under the Star Wars brand. So I get more more to him if if he can sort of bring that to any of the feature films. Yeah, and other news on the side is that they've already started filming uh, season two. Is that right? Yeah, he he actually John Favreau. If you follow his Instagram, he posted. Um, I think it was a um, he posted something on set saying you know first day of filming on ep- of uh, season two. So they're already in the midst of, you know, filming season two right now. Mm, can't wait. That's good news because I'm dying for a season two and we haven't even finished season one. Uh, all right. So let's talk about uh, the rest of the show, which I'm going to break up into two segments. Uh, the first segment I'm going to call the rescue and the second one I'm going to call the escape. Uh, the, the, uh, or the, the shootout at the okay corral, if you will, uh, which is what it felt like. So, uh, the Mandalorian basically breaks in and, uh, rescues Yoda baby. This is where Christopher G. Moore, you said it kind of got violent. Um, you know, you mentioned the flamethrower thing, uh, but the Mandalorian, he handles himself pretty well here. He's also, He's also very, you know, I mentioned it's almost like a slasher film. He hides in the shadows. He sort of creates these, uh, he, he creates these, these things so that it can sort of be beneficial to him, you know, to do what he needs to do. And so he's always thinking of like, oh, if I do this, I can find a way to, to take out these guys. And so this whole episode, he's utilizing his different abilities, whether it's just hiding in the dark or utilizing certain things like his, uh, his whistling birds. Oh, those were, those were pretty cool. Yeah. Which uh, that, that that felt like I was playing a video game at that point. It's like, this is cool. Uh, and, uh, even later on where he, you know, every time he gets in a situation where it's, you think he's not going to be able to get out of it. He does something like when he later on, when he gets on his ship and, he shoots his thing into the, the carbonite thing to, to throw the guy off. So yeah, uh, yeah, that, that whole scene where he goes full John Wick, John, Jason Voorhees is just a pleasure to watch. But at the same time, it's like these stormtroopers uh, end up being like the red shirts in Star Trek. To where they're just, yeah, they they're all going to bite it. And, and in very horrific ways, I mean, it's like when he burns that stormtrooper to death, I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is definitely not, uh, this is definitely not, uh, uh, you know, a a Disney animated film by any stretch of the imagination. This is full on crazy, violent Star Wars that you can sort of get away with it as long as you don't show too, show too much blood or charred flesh. 
<laughs> there's a there's a, pla- there's a there's a there's a plateau for charred flesh or charged stormtrooper. That's fine. Uh, Chris Slattery, uh, the moment that he actually rescues uh, the Yoda baby, Yoda baby is on the on you know on the operating table, all covered up and monitored, and he's unconscious. Uh, but he encounters Doctor Pershing um, and chooses not to slay him. Uh, what did you think of that interaction? Is is that an honor or was it just a, a good time to get, you know, to get out of there? So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the doctor, um, he's not actually a part of the empire. He was kind of taken in as a, um, well, a slave for lack of better terms by the empire to do these tests. Is that right? I, I have a feeling I, – I, I don't know if I recall anything, and Christopher G. Moore jump in, but he's definitely there as – yeah, the client has something on him. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's a slave, but he's definitely there against his own wishes. Yeah, I, uh, yeah and because he kind of is again, there against his will, I feel like he's – I feel like the – the Mandalorian, our character, knew that he wasn't a guilty party and he was either being forced to do what he was doing or he was actually the one one he believed in when when um when the doctor said, I'm the reason that the baby is still alive. I've been they wanted to do much worse and I convinced them against it. So I think it it was either a pity, um like a I I I I feel bad for you. Uh, uh, he took mercy. He took mercy. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that Dr. Pershing is is more akin to like the scientists that we had in Rogue One. Uh you know that group that they of course they didn't end up well, but some Star Wars fans sort of point out that he has that emblem on his shoulder that's uh that notes the clones from the clones that are made on Camino. Mm. Um so he 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 might be a scientist. Uh, that was working with those aliens and stuff on Camino to create the clones that later became the stormtroopers uh, before they started allowing anybody to be a stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the clones, that, the one clones that ended up being Boba Fett and Jango Fett. So, um, so it might be one of those things to where he might've been pulled from that in the same way that Mads Mikkelsen was pulled for the, from the, for the, uh, Death Star, the Empire yeah. to to create the the Death Star yeah. because they you know uh, they just you know if you don't do this I'm going to kill your family or do this or that so uh, but he does definitely seem to be a character who is trying to do the best in the situation and trying to make you know even though everybody else just would, probably would have rather just killed the Yoda baby and gotten what they needed and left. Uh, I think so. I think so. All right. Let's talk about the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, before Mandalorian can reach a ship, he's cornered by uh, Grief Karga, Carl Weathers' character, and every single bounty hunter on the planet, it seems. Uh, he's outnumbered, uh, what, 100 to 1? Is that, would that be, that might be pushing it, but it felt like a good many to 1. Um, and he holds his own. Of course, he's got the baby in his arms. And uh, we there there are some disintegrations involved, flame throwing, and a surprise cavalry. Chris Slattery, what, what what kind of was your favorite moment in all of this? 
it, it was probably the moment where the Calvary came. It was just a, a jump out of your seat cheering like, yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited. This is so cool. Like moment seeing all of the different like Mandalorian um Mandalorians in their armor and all the different cool weapons that they have stored away. It was just, it was an amazing moment, just full of, it was a, it, it's, it, it kind of felt like this is what the Clone Wars should have looked like if it was made now, (laughs) you know, like it was very dark, very, but you could see blasters going everywhere. It was very gritty, very, it was just so cool. Yeah, and they all had to, you know, they come flying in on their jetpacks, just like uh, Jang, just like Boba Fett. It was a, it was a great moment. Uh, did you see? I, okay, is it just me, or did am I just wishing really hard? Or was was Boba Fett there? I know, I don't think so. I think it was I, all the ones that were in the room previously. Well, the- I know that, but I'm, I feel like one of them. There's one of them that feels like Boba Fett. Like obviously, like the one that you know, face-to-face confronted Mandalorian isn't a Boba Fett, but there's one. I don't know. Maybe I just want Boba Fett so bad that I'm wishing really hard. Well, you can't rule that out. I mean, there's been more and more things where they saying that, you know, he might show up in this series because we really don't know definitively if he died. Um, But I, I think, if anything, I do like the fact that they made each Mandalorian different mm-hmm. to where they just didn't feel like like stormtroopers where everybody all the stormtroopers look the same each of them was different each of them have a different weapon and that 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 past vizsla had the freaking laser gatling gun just like oh that the was most great badass man. thing in the world it's like dang man he's just gonna bow down everybody i hope the get fact this, uh, that he was able to carry it without any effort especially while flying around on his uh jetpack oh is god just, oh it was so cool also let me just point out i'd love I mean, I love the aspect of, of the Western aspect of this series. And to me, that whole scene where the, he, he makes the droid drive the, the car thing behind him is just like, you know, like when someone uh, hits a horse, like, you know, gets the horse running, <laughs> you know, to me, that's like no different than that kind of scenario where you get the horse running while you can sort of still try to shoot at people. So I, I, that kind of stuff. And then the cavalry, it feels very like magnificent seven type thing. Uh, but those aspects of it, yeah, I think I don't. I had so many people in my Facebook feed were talking about that. That that was the the big cheer moment, to where even if you're like me sitting at home watching it, you're like you're raising your hands and like yeah, uh, because it was like in that it was at that moment you're like how is he going to get out of this scenario, and all those Mandalorians come in. You're just like that's freaking badass. That's amazing. Again, just an odd like a jaw dropping moment. It, it, the whole thing was, uh, even before that, the whole, you know, when they started disintegrating, <laughs> all, like, there's a, there's a Greedo, you know, character. It's not Greedo, but it's one of the reasons, you know, he gets blown up and like that. Yeah. It, it was so much fun. I, I really want to see these Mandalorians show up again. I, 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 if, if they don't show up at episode nine, I'm going to cry a little, little tear for the Mandalorians. <laughs> all right let's uh i guess we love this episode i think there's no doubt um uh, give me a quick okay the mandalorian does uh, it does get away 
and the only one really left to oppose him is Grief Karga, I would say, who gets the you know the sheriff star in the pocket moment. <laughs> right <laughs> where the you know the book the you know the, the it's kind of a cliche isn't it christopher you know the way he survives what happens to him but for some reason it works well yeah i mean it's it, it they even make fun of that and uh, uh back to the future too yes is it, is it the third which one's the west yeah where he has like the plate in front of him and stuff and so yeah it it, it is something that sort of because even I was like, oh my god, I can't, I can't, surely they can't kill off, kill off, <laughs> kill off this guy so quickly. So I think, I think that'll be interesting to see if he's a character that ends up uh, changing his ways and stuff after this thing, you know, if maybe he might team up or help the Mandalorian, but. Uh, uh, something tells me not. Something tells me more he's going to be a. An adversary. Well, I, I think I think I think once you get some of the the other villain that's going to pop up later, I think it might be one of those scenarios where he does it because he realizes that he had they both have the same type of enemy. I don't know. That's just my thought process. Hmm. I th- well, there could be a turn, right? Yeah. Uh, so speaking to that, Chris Slattery, where do you think this is going to go? Uh, Mandalorian goes off planet, and what's what, what's next? Oh, I think the uh, the remnants or the are not remnants remains of the of of the empire are going to be pissed that they don't have the uh, that they don't have the Yoda baby anymore, and it's going to be whatever's left of the empire versus the Mandalorian as the Mandalorian's trying to keep the baby Yoda safe and get him to a safe place. Mm, so he's on the run. He's on the run, and I, are, are are we going to find other people that will help him, or is I everybody going to? So. Be- I, I think I, that's I, where the magnificent seven aspect may come into play. Mm, I can't wait. He might gather together different people, like a, a yeah, and that's a, and that's kind of true Star Wars fashion, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like the Rebel Alliance, everybody coming together to fight one common enemy. So I think in the normal Western type story, I think he might gather all these different people, you know, who might be in their own little gray areas in the universe, like the, like a few of the people that we know they're going to be in this series later on. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I think, I think that's the great thing about it. We don't really don't know where this is going to go. You know, a lot of the current films and stuff you sort of you feel like you have a little bit of idea where it's going to end up but this one we don't i think that's that's the best aspect of it telling a a story in the star wars universe where you don't know how it's going to end up or how it's going to play out and that's that's awesome that that's what keeps everybody like oh we can't wait till the next episode yeah i think that's a huge part of the wonderment that i feel from this up from this series that you know i felt in the original trilogy right Mm because we didn't know where it was going to go and i don't the you know the prequels didn't necessarily capture that, and the uh, you know the current series does and doesn't. You know both at the same time. You know it's it better than the prequels, but not as well. And this this I think that's why I like this so much. All right, well that's uh, the Mandalorian uh, episode three, the sin, and we'll be talking about episode four in one week. Uh, on on the next Friday, I, oh, man, the weeks have gotten so long. 
it's it's so difficult waiting. <laughs> it is. It's it. You know, and this is how it used to be back in the day. You know, so now all these young kids can sort of feel how we used to feel when we were younger, and a series would come on, and you'd have to, like Lost or something, where you could just be waiting to see what happens next. I um, like it. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, and also. Let me just give another shout out. This is one of the things I love about this series is that, you know, then they put these little Easter eggs in and the, um, the container that contains the, uh, the metal that uh, reward that uh, Mandalorian gets in return for him uh, turning into the little Yoda baby. The container is probably one of the deepest cuts of any kind of trivia that you'd know about Star Wars. And uh, if you remember Empire Strikes Back, when everybody's ev- uh, evacuating Cloud City, there's this one guy who's running down the hallway that has basically what was an old school ice cream maker that they just used because it looks sci-fi. And it became a running joke to where now people will cosplay as this character or actually cosplay as groups where everybody's running through the convention center. That Evidently, they did that at Star Wars Celebration one year. And a lot of people know him as Ice Cream Guy, but his they've actually created a name for him and actually at one point they were when people when uh they were a star wars is asking hey what what character should we make a a figure of and they actually made a figure of this guy (laughs) who's called wilro hood and uh the the thing he was carrying they said it's a camtono camtono i might be pronouncing that wrong but it's it's supposedly a safe that stores valuables uh but but the always the running joke was this guy's evacuating uh Cloud City, and he's going to take his ice cream maker with him. <laughs> <laughs> he can't live without his ice cream. Uh, but anyway, I to me, that's what I love about this series. That you could look through every scene and episode. There's probably something that you'll notice. Supposedly, there's a one of the one of the alleyways or something. There's like a pole. There's the same pole that um, that Luke Skywalker and them use when they're in the trash compactor to kind of stop the trash compactor. There's like one of those poles. I mean, things like that, that are just like maybe just in the background or they utilize it that if you can, you can watch the story, even in not being a Star Wars fan, won't really affect you in any way. But if you're a huge Star Wars nerd and you see that, I was like smiling from ear to ear when I saw that. Cause like, I know that thing, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a silly little thing, but I think that's what I love about this series is that it's not, it's not like throwing these references in there for no reason trying to shoot trying to shoehorn it in it's part of the story but at the same time you can see how it connects to other things you know uh in the star wars universe so yeah it's what i love that's another element of this series that just makes me very happy that they're making it Mm. oh me too i love these moments and i did not know about the ice cream maker that that's insane uh i guess we need to go to d23 this year yeah, and well, and I think that's that's the cool thing about Star Wars in general. If you look at the original trilogy, they really didn't have. I mean, they don't, nowadays they try to make everything from scratch. But you know, there's there's droids in the original trilogy that use microphones as faces, and uh, the the you know when the the Death Star when they're like trying to shoot the Death Star off, a lot of those control panels are just basically things they used to use in like, I think an audio production facility or something. I mean, there's a lot of different things that they incorporate just so that it looks techy or sci-fi enough that, but if you have any kind of knowledge of that, you'll figure it out. And I think that's the funny thing is that they're trying to pawn off this ice cream maker, or something that's uh, the, when you look at it, it looks like an ice cream maker. So it's not, 
<laughs> so, but anyway, that's 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 the cool thing. That that's the the homegrown aspect of of Star the original Star Wars is you just use what you have. You know, it's like even in the prequels, the little communicator thing that um, that Liam Neeson uses is a lady shaver. <laughs> it's an electric lady shaver. But they just put a lot of th- extra things on it to make it look like a communicator. It's just, <laughs> to me, that's so funny. Uh, but you don't think about it. No, no, not at all. All right. Well, if we, what did you see? What did you see that we missed? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. What did you think of this episode? What do you think that's going to happen next? Uh, we want to hear feedback at gruesomemagazine.com is the way to do it. Or you can uh, find us on Facebook or any other social media or go to gruesomemagazine.com and leave a comment on the uh, blog post. Uh, uh, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Uh, Chris and Christopher, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's fun as always. All right, let's say good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you.